Welcome back to Blockchain for the Billions, everybody. I'm Cammy Darling here with my co-host Alejandro. Um, hey, everyone. Today we're talking uh, with crypto punk rapper Spotty Wi-Fi. Um, Spotty, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so excited to kind of get into your whole story here. But before we get into it, do you mind just giving our audience sort of a um, rundown of your background? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the elevator story is, you know, I was a full-time musician, songwriter, performer years ago uh, from like 2006 through 2012. You know, I've been in bands, I've been in rap groups, I've been a solo artist. I've toured, I've opened for major acts. Um, that that time period was like, the beginning of it was like people were still selling CDs. You know, I used to press CDs in 2006. By the end of it, it was full on, you know, digital streaming, MP3s, uh, the SoundCloud era, the blog era, etc. I mean, this was back in the MySpace era at the beginning of that time. So uh, it was a really disruptive time for music. And I, I would get a lot of love on blogs and things like that, uh, get, you know, really cool opportunities to perform, but it didn't add up. It wasn't paying the bills for me. So in 2012, toward the end of that period, I, I took a full-time day job, started working at advertising marketing, thought music was a thing of the past for me in terms of a career choice, got good at my day job, did that for eight or nine years. And then COVID hit, you know, uh, totally disrupted my day job. I got furloughed, got laid off. Um, work was inconsistent. I was freelancing. And then I discovered NFTs. So January of last year, 2021, uh, I started hearing about NBA Top Shot. By February, I've become friends with some people that own CryptoPunks. I start hearing Mark Cuban saying CryptoPunks are priceless. They're the rookie card of NFTs. And um, thankfully, I had started buying crypto a few years earlier. And I said, you know what? I'm going to buy one of these crypto punks. I just think it's an interesting investment, really, is, is the way I was looking at it. Um, and then very quickly after that, I realized, you know what? If you have a crypto punk, you have a niche but passionate built-in audience. You know, there's a few thousand people that own crypto punks. Uh, so if you do something cool with your crypto punk, they're going to take note. And that's when I decided I don't see anyone using their crypto punk for much creatively i'm a rapper so i'm gonna make mine the best and only crypto punk rapper alive and that was sort of the beginning of this journey um bought my crypto punk in february last year put out the first song called i'm spotty in april uh got a good reaction and by august i had an album a concept album telling my crypto punk's story um and i sold that album as an nft and it, it has gone on to become one of the more successful and innovative music NFT drops that we've seen. Uh, and now this is uh, my full-time job. So it's it's been a real transformative couple of years. Heck yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, all that being said, it sounds like you were plugged in pretty heavily into the CryptoPunk community and ETH NFT community pretty early on. What do you think you saw in these communities that kind of showed you so much uh, promise and, and you know, got you so interested? Man, that's a good question. I think that with the CryptoPunks specifically, 
once I once I started hearing like a consensus, what sounded to me like a consensus that this one particular collection of NFTs, which is these 10,000 CryptoPunks, once I, st I started to realize that like this seems to be unanimously uh, a, a good bet if you think NFTs are, are here for the long run. You know, if you think NFT, if you think non-fungible tokens are going to have a long-term impact on art or merchandising, uh, which I did and, and do, then the CryptoPunks among the things that you could bet on in the NFT world, they seem to be a safer bet. You know, I had people like, like I said, Mark Cuban, billionaires like Chamath, um, other people talking about NFTs. And it just seemed like, you know what, if these billionaires are buying NFTs and some of them are even name dropping CryptoPunks, they're not name dropping a lot of other collections, you know? Um, so that, that was, that was sort of the starting point, you know? Um, and then throughout the year last year, there would be moments of validation or reassurance, you know, Jay-Z buying a CryptoPunk and making that his Twitter profile, Gary V buying dozens of CryptoPunks, um, Visa buying a CryptoPunk, things like that, you know? So, but in the early, early going, um, it was it, hard to even explain. It was just me and friends like literally had a YouTube show and, and one of my friends, Crypto Novo, he would represent himself like I am right now with a, with a, a, a digital mask that represented his CryptoPunk. And I just thought that was interesting. Um, there's guy, you know, my, my guy, G Money, he does a similar thing uh, with, with his CryptoPunk. So some of those guys were early inspirations in terms of building a digital identity. Uh, and, and, and G Money explains it very well. You know, he talks about the epiphany he had during the pandemic when he was playing Fortnite with some of his younger relatives and just the idea of skins. And once he realized people already pay for digital clout, we, we do it all the time. Or like Gary Vee explains, like you can't see when I'm walking around on the street, you can't see the crypto punk in my wallet. But, but when Gary Vee is walking around in the street, you see the blue, you can see the blue check from his Instagram profile. Like that is digital clout it's digital validation or whatever. And, um, some of those things are only a slice of what NFTs can deliver, but it's definitely an in-your-face, like very uh, understood thing that we we can all kind of, if you really think about it, we can kind of grasp. Yeah, I think um, in in your answer there, like the thing that stands out to me, there's several things that stand out to me, and number one, it's this idea of thinking as NFTs as the very earliest form of a digital sort of metaverse, right? Um, they're digital kind of communities that also um, have events in person and do things, you know, physically. Um, and they're also very strong brands. So, you know, overall, I'd love to get your thoughts on what do you think it is about uh, CryptoPunks that allowed them to successfully create the biggest brand in crypto so early? And, you know, what what do you think the future kind of holds for building com digital communities around brands. And just to kind of piggyback off of that to make it a two-parter, like what about CryptoPunks enticed you so much? Like why didn't you choose 
a different community. Like you really, I mean, you're visionary for picking one that's, you know, lasted and it's such a strong community, but I'm curious on, you know, why it was CryptoPunks for you. Well, the CryptoPunks, okay, two, two things. Number one, at that time, it, in my view, I didn't even see a close second choice at, at that time. If, you know, I was fortunate, I was in a privileged position to where I had accumulated some crypto and I could spend 27 Ethereum at that time, which was over $40,000 on a crypto pump. So to start off, I have to acknowledge the incredible, incredibly privileged position I was in at that point for that to even be a consider consideration to spend $40,000 on a JPEG while my fiance was at work. <laughs> like that's literally what happened. She was overnight at the hospital. I was up like red eyed, you know, uh, DJing <laughs> and, and for 4 a.m. You know, I, I've been looking at Top Shot and, and all night and trying to decide, am I going to buy this crypto punk? And I did it at like four in the morning. She comes home and I tell her and she's like half awake and she's like, okay, <laughs> you know, like cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was super cool about it though. But but so so number one, there's just the chronology or the the timing of it where I didn't I didn't see a second choice really in terms of a profile picture. Now you could have said like maybe I want to look at like um you know some of the maybe I want to look at some other artwork or things like that, like a beeple or you know, um some art blocks work, something like that. But for a profile picture, I didn't see a clear-cut second choice. The apes weren't out yet. In fact, the apes weren't even out when I put out my first song. You know, when I put out the song I'm Spotty, that was April 16th. I believe, and, and I'm sure uh, people will fact check me, but I believe the Board Apes first tweet was the next day, April 17th. Um, so, so number one, it was kind of like the only choice in that price range that I was privileged enough to, to be considering. Number two, even now, I would say the, the CryptoPunks have a moat, unlike any other project, collection, or, or NFT company's moat, because the CryptoPunks, the way I saw it and the way I still see it, they set the standard for an ERC-721 contract. Uh, so I hope I'm getting that number right. Uh, but you know, they basically wrote the template that a whole lot of NFT projects would follow after them. And, and in a lot of ways, there's the technical, the technical code that they wrote in the smart contract. There's also just the fact that they selected the number 10,000, you know, there's 10,000 crypto punks. That's the default number for a profile picture collection. Now, you know, they had humans, males, females, aliens, apes, and zombies, you know, you see crypto, you've, you've seen NFT projects that have sprung up that have taken ideas from that. You know, we're going to make 10,000 aliens or we're going to make 10,000 apes. That went pretty well, you know, or we're going to make 10,000 zombies, things like that. But there's, they're just the, you know, the, the, the big bully on the block in terms of they were very early and they, they, evolved into a use case that is that became really relevant in the huge year that was 2021 which is profile pictures you know i don't know if the developers of cryptopunks intended for them to be profile pictures but that's how people began to use them um, and i also think the artwork is really like just the 8-bit artwork uh, i think it's like kind of hard to 
it's hard to criticize. It's just like so intuitive. Um, it makes sense. You know, people can look at, I, look, I'm a yacht. I'm in the yacht club. I own board apes. I hear people debating all the time. Like, Oh, the mutants are so ugly. This or that, this artwork sucks, blah, blah, blah. Whether it's apes or whether it's cool cats, gutter cats, doodles, clone X, you know, whatever it is, I don't really hear people even debating like are crypto punks ugly. It's just dope eight bit artwork. And the fact that it's eight bit contributes to, I think it's lore. The last thing I'll say, cause I'm rambling on about this moat that the crypto punks have. The last thing I'll say is I thought of the crypto punks when I made my purchase, I thought of them as the new Mona Lisa digital age, like the new standard of what art can be. Um, and I'm not an art historian, but I'm just saying I saw what they did technologically to advance um, the, the world of NFTs and smart contracts. I saw them as a seminal work like the Mona Lisa. I literally Googled what is the, the fair market value of the Mona Lisa. If I'm not spending more than one ten thousandth of the value of the Mona Lisa, then I think I'm getting a deal because I think each one of these crypto punks, there's 10,000 of them. I think they add up to at least the value of the Mona Lisa. And if you could divide the Mona Lisa into 10,000 pieces, people would probably actually pay more than one ten thousandth of the value of the Mona Lisa, because all of a sudden you've got a much uh, higher pool of people that can enter and, and, and own a piece of it. So that was my thought process. And that's really, that's still really uh, my thesis. I think you're so right with kind of NFTs sparking this like artistic renaissance. Um, and it makes sense. Okay. So I'm, I'm, you know, it makes sense why you chose CryptoPunks and the, it's funny that the board apes tweeted their first tweet right after um, your first single came out. So that was um, kind of something that I didn't know about you beforehand. Just another note on that, you know, the board apes are one of the things they're known for is coming out and saying, if you own one of these board apes, you have a copyright license to do whatever you want with it. You know, mm -hmm. paraphrasing. Uh, the crypto punks were not known for that. The, the copyright license or what rights a crypto punk owner had last year was very much a gray area, very much a source of debate and tension. There were a lot of people some people who loved CryptoPunks, some people who despised CryptoPunks. There were people on both sides who pointed at me and said, you can't do that. You do not have a copyright license. There is no such thing as a CryptoPunk copyright license. You know, you're going to get sued. Uh, they would FUD my FUD anything I was, I was doing. Um, and there were a lot of people that were petitioning the the creators of the crypto punks to give us clarity tell us what we can do can i do something with my crypto punk can i not and i was just like well you guys can ask all you want but like the only way to know if they're not going to straight up tell you if they're not going to provide a, a copyright license or a terms and conditions page on their website then like i'm just going to do it and 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 i'm going to find out you know and to their credit larva labs the creator of the, of the crypto punks they never gave me any grief um, I never heard anything from them actually. So some people take that in a negative way. I took it as a positive, like, Hey, they, they know what I'm doing. I'm sure they do. They're just not stopping me. Good. I mean, it's good that they're letting you kind of get, they're giving you your creative freedom to kind of do what you want with, you know, something that's yours. So it's, that's good to hear. Um, I am curious to know sort of, and maybe this ties into like the ownership aspect and like copyright 
aspect, but what about like performing in the metaverse gets you excited versus performing in front of a crowd? And like, how does the experience differ? Um, like from your perspective as the artist, but also like from a spectator's point of view or a fan's point of view? That's a great question. Um, I've done a couple of metaverse performances. Well, I've done a few metaverse performances. I have one coming up in November. Uh, I will be performing at the second ever Decentraland Metaverse Festival. Uh, I performed at the first one last year, opening for Paris Hilton. So I'm super excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's super fun. Uh, If you're not familiar, like metaverse experiences uh like a music festival are really dope you know people people talk down about decentraland and say like like i just oh my god i just heard this guy last night in spaces this guy he thinks he knows it all especially when it comes to gaming and metaverses and somebody was talking about decentraland as being they, they actually it was literally about the metaverse festival somebody was saying it was dope and this guy's like of course he chimes in with the um the, the very overused like cliche line of like, do you know how many people, how, you know, how many daily active users uh, Decentraland has? They have like 20 people that log on every day. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. People aren't just going, people aren't just like waking up and like, oh, before I check Twitter, let me log on to Decentraland and like go run around. Like, no, that is not what people do. But when there's programming, when there's an event, when there's an, when there's a reason to go and dead mouse is DJing, or Paris Hilton is performing, or Fuocious is coming out on stage, like, guess what? You get more than 20 people that log in, and they have a really great time. So that is what the Decentraland Metaverse, that that is the the potential of the Metaverse to me. I think performances in the Metaverse are going to be huge. I mean, people still talk about Travis Knight in Fortnite, uh, Travis Knight, uh, Travis Scott, sorry, in Fortnite. And Look at the other side. You know, the other side is the digital world being built for Yuga Labs, uh, and they're working with Improbable on that. I believe that music and video gaming are the two most immediate opportunities in the metaverse. Like, that's what people are going to go to these digital worlds for. They're going to go to have gamified experiences and to watch concerts that's what i really believe um i think that's very bullish for me by the way because yuga labs owns the other side they have a four billion dollar valuation they have a lot of capital to work with uh they own the crypto punks they own the board apes they own the mutant apes they own the me bits and i'm the only crypto punk rapper alive you know so to me it's like this is a lane that is not very saturated right now but it will be and who like think about a recent hire from Yuga Labs, Illa the producer. He's he's a multi-platinum Grammy-nominated producer. I've worked with him. He's a friend of mine, and now he's also the head of community and partnerships at Yuga Labs. You know, so it's like I think they're thinking the same way as me. Who who is Board Apes part, partnered with? Uh, when I performed at Ape Fest in June, I was opening for Lil Wayne and Eminem and Snoop Dogg. Eminem and Snoop Dogg that night launched a music video where they were rapping as their board apes. That music video was nominated for a video, an MTV video music award where they performed on stage and on screen in the metaverse. So that's the bull case, right? Like this is going to be, this is going to be a big deal. Um, I, I still think like IRL concerts are never going away. 
we always are as humans going to want and have that need for physical interaction to touch grass, you know, to like be around friends physically. And, and this won't replace that, but this will, um, this will complement that, you know, and this is another way for artists to engage with their fans. Uh, I'm man, I'm really long winded today, but to really answer your question, like the, some of the differences when I'm on stage at ape fest or when I'm on stage at a concert, I can make eye contact with specific people. Right. And I, and, and a lot of them, I know, cause I've seen them come to previous shows or support and I know them and you can, you can read people's body language, which can be, um, subtle. Now, when I'm, when I'm in a metaverse performance, I can get some of that live feedback and, and reaction from people, but it's not as subtle. Um, it's literally people right now choosing like, do I want to press the jump button or do I want to press the dance button? You know what I mean? And so you can kind of see that, uh, but there, so that, that's a trade-off, but then at the same time, as a performer, I can do things in the metaverse that I could never do IRL. You know, I can fly in the metaverse. I can have my board ape hype man uh, play a saxophone solo in the metaverse, which which has happened. So um, it's really it's really fun. And to be fair, there are also different types of metaverse performances. I've done metaverse performances where I'm rapping live IRL. Like you can see my face behind my microphone and it's being broadcast into Decentraland or something like that. I've also done things where it's fully animated, 3D uh, characters rigged, you know, and that is like really, really fun. Um, I wish I could be doing that all the time, like animated metaverse concerts, but some of the costs and the resources that go into that are, are tough to, re to do repeatedly and at a high frequency right now. As, as the costs for some of those things come down, I think there's going to be a lot of artists that wish they could be doing like animated or 3D VR performances is just cost prohibitive for the time being yeah and like to sh shift gears and talk a little bit about what you just said i'd love to understand you know your opinions on hey what what are the power of nfts to kind of remove some of the frictions and pain points and direct monetization for artists i think this is a killer use case we're seeing a lot of people working on this today um, from an investor perspective i've seen a lot of deals in, in this area and and becoming really interested in, you know, not not just NFTs, but all of crypto to allow for direct to consumer kind of monetization um, and eliminating, you know, kind of middlemen and and pain points. Um, and so, would love to understand, you know, your perspective on, hey, how is streaming today broken, or is it is that what we should be going after um, for artists doing kind of uh, direct to consumer monetization, um, and and you know. What, what are the ways that you see this kind of evolving? So it's a, it's a huge question. There's a, there's a few ways that I like to talk about this. Um, number one, I think it's important to help people understand that the traditional record industry or the traditional music industry is infested with middlemen. You know, for an artist to deliver a song or an album to their fans or a tour 
or to, or, you know, to, to, to deliver value or entertainment or content to your fans right now, there's a whole lot of middlemen. Sometimes those middlemen are artist managers. Sometimes they're business managers. Sometimes they're record labels. Sometimes they're music publishers. Sometimes they're booking agents. Very often they are platforms, streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Amazon Music, platforms like YouTube, platforms like TikTok. All of these platforms in one, you, you can look at it on the one hand as they, they facilitate, right? They, they facilitate um, artist to fan interaction. But I take, the, I take another perspective as well, which is they are equally middlemen. You know, they are taking a cut every time a fan wants to support an artist, either through donating their time, their attention, or their money, um, those middlemen that I just mentioned, they are lined up with their hands out, right? So we as a culture have come to accept the idea and the fact that we rely on musicians to deliver the soundtracks of our lives, you know, the, the music that will score our highest of highs and help us mourn our lowest of lows. We need that from musicians and we are totally comfortable as a culture with those same musicians in exchange for their contribution. We are comfortable with them ending up broke on the street, in jail, on drugs, whatever the case may be. We're, we're just comfortable with that. Artists, musicians get ripped off. It's a tale as old as time and we're comfortable with it. The way that I believe NFTs can disrupt this is largely what you're saying, cutting out the middlemen and going direct to consumer. And I think one of the big things that makes it possible is the fact that through an NFT, an artist can deliver value in more ways and in more efficient ways than ever before. Artists are, are having a very hard time selling their music. It's very hard to sell an MP3 in the post Napster era. Why would somebody like, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I, I think the other interesting thing too about this is that streaming, like not only does it hurt artists, right? And like, they can't, you know, um, actually make a sustainable living unless they're the maybe point, you know, one percentile, um, or sorry, the 99.99 percentile, but you know, it, it's also like, it hasn't worked for investors, you know, it hasn't worked for companies like it as a model right like spotify is not a profitable company today um and so that that's what i find interesting it's like why would we not disrupt this it doesn't work for anybody um and i don't know if we should start with streaming or pre-sales or anything else but to me content markets provide a really interesting opportunity in that hey actually uh not every stream is worth the same dollar and i think this is what streaming gets gets wrong right um you, you shouldn't actually commoditize streams. Like I, I, from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense because the, the most valuable consumers are actually your super fans. And those are the ones that you want to go after. And so, you know, you don't actually have to captivate this, this really huge kind of audience. Like you just have to monetize from your super fans really well. And I think like streaming kind of directly goes against that. It commoditizes every, every kind of, consumption of, of your your product your content and i think that's why it kind of doesn't make sense to me but i'd love to hear your perspective on this also from 
a how NFTs allow for D2C monetization and by targeting super fans, right? Okay, well, a, a couple things there. I think that streaming does work for some people. Streaming works really well for record labels. Like they're they're making money off of streams. Uh, Spotify might not be profitable, but record labels are getting paid. Um, artists are getting paid a lot less. You know, they're getting fractions of a penny. You know, I think you get maybe five thousand dollars if you get a million streams on Spotify as an artist. The average artist, right? Um, that's not that's not a great uh, ROI. Um, in, in terms of all that, all the work that goes into getting a million people to stream your music, but it works for the labels. That's why this. That's why this is still the predominant way that people consume music. Um, now, the, the the thing is, all a streaming platform is doing is allowing you to listen to the music. Like that's all an MP3 does. That to me is why it's very hard for artists to sell their music. You know, if you remember before Napster, before LimeWire, before before digital download and file sharing or piracy, whatever you want to call it, before all of that, artists used to sell records. You know, like Eminem used Eminem used to go platinum the week he would drop. You know, and now we have to change the definition of of what does it even mean to be a platinum artist, and and we take streams into account, but it's not about the sales as much. It's about other sources of revenue. Um, but what is powerful to me about an NFT is that I can sell you an NFT that includes an MP3 if I want. I can literally sell you an NFT that points to a song. Uh, but that token that points to a song, it can also unlock unlimited potential value. That token can not only unlock an MP3, which again, all that allows you to do is listen to the song, but the token can also represent other rights. You, I, I might give to you the right to sync the song and, or, or place it into your podcast or into your film or your uh, TV show or your video game or your advertisement or whatever type of content you want to make, whether that's for a personal use or a commercial use. This is something that I do with most of my NFTs. That token could also unlock IRL events, concerts. That's something that I've done. It's something that I do. It could also unlock digital experiences, which is something that I do. It could also unlock physical merchandise, a vinyl record, a t-shirt, a hat, a lunchbox, et cetera. These are all things that I've done where if you look at my Genesis collection, my first album NFT that I sold in August of last year, I bundled all of this value together with an MP3. So you get all, all of the things I described and, oh yes, by the way, you can listen to the music. Of course, I want people to listen to the music, but by bundling all that value together, I was able to generate $200,000 in revenue on a, on, on, on a instant sellout, you know, sold out right away. That is the equivalent of call it probably 40 or 50 million streams on Spotify, right? So I had 700 people, 700 people bought 2000 NFTs from me, about $200,000. And from 700 supporters, I generated more revenue than I would have received with 40 million streams on Spotify. That's the opportunity to me. Does, can streaming work for some artists? Yes. You know, there's artists like Blau who will tell you over and over again that streaming works for some artists. If you own your, if you own your, your rights, if you own your masters and your publishing and everything, and 
you can generate 40 or 50 million streams every time you drop a song, then yeah, why would you have an issue with the streaming model? I get it. That is 0.1% of artists. Good for them. But for the rest of us, um, I think we, we've got to get more creative. And that is, that is the opportunity that NFTs present. Also, NFTs allow us to gamify the music purchasing experience. You know, um, when I did my drop, I believe I was the first artist to do a blind mint for, a, for an album NFT. What that means is you, you bought the NFT and you were going to get a song as part of that NFT, but you didn't know which song and you were going to have rights to that song. You know, like, like I mentioned, you could put the song in your, in your content, uh, but it was a blind mint. You don't know which song you're getting until it's revealed. There were songs from the album. There were also a long tail of remixes so that we had a gumball machine full of different songs and mixes that you might receive. And so we created this gamified experience that I think was new for a lot of music fans who overwhelmingly know what song they're going to purchase before they purchase it, if they purchase at all, because most of them are just streaming on Spotify or YouTube. That's a really good segue into kind of my next point here. And I think like to your previous point, like even big artists can get burned, like Taylor Swift, for example, like we kind of all know what's going on with her and her re-recordings right now and not owning the rights to her masters. And so, like you said, those middlemen really can burn even the biggest of artists who do generate those streams. Um, so you were kind of starting to touch on this, but I'm really curious. Um, well, I know, cause I did some research on, you know, your process and your minting of your album, but can you let our audience know kind of exactly like what you did, the process and like, Obviously, you had some, um, you enticed people to buy with this kind of gamified version of releasing an album. So can you kind of explain to us sort of exactly what the process was and like what it is <laughs> in case anybody has any aspirations out there to um, maybe do the same thing? For sure. So when I was putting my album together, I, and when I was thinking about how I would want to roll it out as an NFT collection, I was inspired by my experience of purchasing my CryptoPunk, actually. Because when I was purchasing my CryptoPunk, I was looking and shopping based on different traits that the CryptoPunks have, rarity traits, right? So like, for example, my CryptoPunk has spots on his face. That's why I'm called Spotty Wi-Fi. That actually makes my punk rare. Uh, because there's 10,000 crypto punks, but only 124 of them have spots. And I started to think like, that's really interesting. That was a big motivator for me purchasing this specific crypto punk because I wanted one that was rare. Um, and, and that was, that was the rare trait that I was able to afford. Cause a lot of people don't like the spots on the face. They think it's ugly or whatever, but it's rare. So it's a balancing act there of value. So I was trying to think, how can I create a spectrum of rarity? in a collection of songs. So at that time we had, let's call it five songs on the album. Okay. There were, there were, there were five songs on the album. Really there's also two remixes, but I'll explain the remixes. So we took the first song, which is I'm spotty. And we said, this is the song that introduces me to the world. So this is the song we're going to focus on to create remixes and a rarity spectrum. So the first thing we did was we, we took the original version of the song. We said, this is the, the OG version. We're going to call it the rap edition. 
because it's a rap song by nature. The beat sounds like a very, you know, uh, rap hip hop beat. Cool. That's the rap edition. Okay. Now let's make two more versions, except on these two versions, we're going to replace all the music. The raps stay exactly the same. The vocals don't change, but the music will change because we're going to change the instruments. All the notes, all the chords, all the melodies will be the same. They'll be identical. But instead of using an 808 and, and like traditional rap uh, hip hop sounds, we're going to use on one of these versions, Nintendo sounds, you know, so we called that the 8-bit edition. And then we're going to make another version where we use traditional rock instruments, okay, for the instrumental. That'll be called the emo edition. So now we have three versions of the song the rap edition, the 8-bit, and the emo edition. And if you know one of them, then the others are going to sound very familiar to you because the instruments are playing the same notes. They're just different instruments. So then we said, okay, now we want to mash these up. So let's take the drums and the bass and let's have all of the other instruments. In, so we have three separate buckets. We have drums, bass, and everything else. And now we have three genres or three styles, and we have three buckets of instruments. If we mix and match, that means there's 27 different possible combinations, three times three times three. And so that's exactly what we did. And we did it all you know, manually. This is not done generatively or algorithmically by a, a computer or a program or code. My producer did all of this. And so what we end up with is... On the album, the five songs now become seven because we put the original 8-bit and the original emo edition on there. So we have seven songs on the album and we have 24 remixes that are not on the album. Okay, those are more like mashups. And so those 24 versions, you can only get if you own them. You can only, you can only uh, have them... Uh, in your in your wallet if you mint them okay they're, they're not going to appear on the vinyl record or anything like that and that's what we did and now it seems kind of intuitive but at the time no no artist that i know of and and i mean i was i've been saying this for a year nobody's ever questioned me on it but i don't think any artist had really done that before and it became a new model and a blueprint that a lot of artists have been able to use to their advantage and i think it's I think it's going to be around for a long time because we see it in other formats of entertainment. You know, we see like choose your own adventures in gaming. Of course, we see director's cuts of, of films and things like that. You even see like choose your own adventure, Netflix content now, you know? So I think this idea of like iterative music is, is going to be one of the things that we, we look back and we think is like a staple of something that Web3 brought to music distribution. I love to see you blazing these trails for other artists in the in the industry. Um, so just to kind of wrap things up, we have a few more questions, but um, in regards to kind of your content now, what can, or when can fans sort of expect a new project from you or like, what what can they are there any surprises in store i know you mentioned an upcoming concert um in november but when are any new new projects coming out that you can kind of give us the inside scoop on so right now i'm working on my new album the new album is called king of punks 
Um, I'm working to release it before the end of the year. I, I, I'm, I'm not stating that concretely, uh, but I do have a lot of cool things planned for Art Basel. So you may see the album out uh, before the end of the year. But what's cool about this album is it's a collab album. Every song is a collaboration of some sort. The first single from the album was a song called All Time High featuring Bun B. Bun is a legendary rapper, of course, from the group UGK out of Houston, Texas. Uh, my, the next single was a song called Full Set featuring my board ape Goldrilla. It was produced by Illa, the producer who I mentioned earlier. And the third single actually uh, probably will be out by the time this interview airs. It is releasing on Friday, October 7th on all streaming platforms. You can find this song. It's called Believers. It features Bart Oatmeal, who is another metaverse artist, and it is produced by Chill Pill, who is uh, another metaverse native music producer. So I'm super excited about that collab. Um, so check out that song. All three of the singles so far uh, will be NFT collections. The the first two already are all time high is an NFT collection. Full set is an NFT collection. And now soon believers will be an NFT collection in total. I'm planning to have five singles that are NFTs uh, from the album. And if you collect one of each, then you will get to claim a free vinyl record of the new album. And if you have my album NFT from last year, the I'm spotty NFT, then these are all free claims for you. So you, you can claim these for free and you just hold them and then you'll be able to get this new vinyl record for free. So that's what I'm working on right now. Um, I'm also getting ready to embark on a tour for the album, the King of Punks tour. So I will be in Vegas for the Web3 Expo, October 10th through 13th. I have shows in Vegas, the 10th and the 12th. Um, I will be at the Central Florida uh, Web3 meetup in Orlando. On October 15th, I'll be performing there. Uh, I'll be at NFT London, and I got a show November 2nd, and then I'm speaking on their music panel track on November 3rd. Uh, I don't know the exact date of my Decentraland Metaverse Festival performance, but it's sometime, I believe, the second week of November. Um, and then all of this is really leading up to Art Basel. Going to have a lot of cool things planned for Art Basel, and then we'll, you know, We'll, we'll take a quick breather for the holidays and get right back at it with, with some more dates lined up for the new year. So that's really what I'm, what I'm working on on the music side for the most part. Um, I'm also, one other thing that I'm really excited about on the music front, I'm partnering with Tower Records. A lot of people might remember Tower Records. You know, they used to have brick and mortar stores all over the place. They were like a Sam Goody or wherever where you go in, listen to music, put the headphones on, buy music back when people bought music, right? Um, well, we're teaming up uh, because obviously I have a passion for vinyl. They have a passion for vinyl. They happen to be the number three vinyl record retailer on the whole internet now. So they've pivoted from brick and mortar to more of an online presence. And I'm really proud to say they're going, they are pressing a second pressing of my debut album, the I'm, I'm Spotty album, which is really cool because most... Most vinyls, first off, most people selling 2000 vinyl is a lot. That's a lot of vinyl. You, like you talk to people that do vinyl, that's a lot of vinyl. And for us to now get a second pressing is amazing. And what's really cool, this vinyl, we're leveraging a patent pending, patent pending technology where there's an NFC, a near field communication chip embedded into the vinyl. It's not a sticker. It's 
in the vinyl. So we're going to sell this vinyl to anybody that's interested, whether they give a damn about NFTs or not. And if they don't, they can pay with debit or credit our records website. And then a year from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, if they wake up and say, you know what? I think NFTs are cool. They will have an NFT waiting for them that has been pre-minted and reserved for them. They just wave their phone over this NFC chip that's embedded into the vinyl record, which I think is really cool because in a bear market, especially, I think we need to find ways to meet people where they are and not ask them or challenge them to deviate and go way outside of their normal behaviors and set up a wallet and write down a seed phrase and blah, blah, blah. We're, we're going to do something that meets them where they are. So I'm excited about that collab. Um, I'm launching a beer. Uh, I'm throwing, you know, I'm launching a beer, which we're going to have on site at the, the party in London on November 2nd. Um, I'm working on a board game with my board apes. Uh, I got hot sauce with my board apes. I got, I got a sushi chain that I'm partnered with down here in Miami. So I'm doing a lot on the licensing front, but, but main focus is always the music. So you're booked that's, and that's, busy. Yeah, I'm keeping busy. I'm keeping busy. And, um, and really a, a lot of these collabs, just trying to bring IRL products into the, into the world and that, that can get us some exposure to people that, aren't ready to sit down and set up a MetaMask wallet in the middle of a bear market. Totally. I think fidgetal is sort of a term that we should all just kind of get used to hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for, for sharing your insight here um, on the kind of creator space and the direct consumer monetization and new era of music and all of your thoughts on brands and, and, and NFTs. We love just hearing you and, and you know, talking. Thanks, thanks so much for your time and, and you know, sharing your insights today. Uh, my pleasure, man. Thank you guys for sharing your platform and for asking great questions. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, Spotty, thank you again for joining us today. Um, so can you let our listeners know where they can follow you and just keep up with your journey online? Absolutely. Check me out at spottywifi.io. Uh, on all social media platforms, I'm easy to find. It's just at Spotty Wi-Fi. Key thing to remember is Spotty is S-P-O-T-T-I-E. That ends with an I-E. If you're searching Spotty Wi-Fi with a Y, you're just going to get like Verizon ads and stuff like that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm easy to find. Just remember the spelling. Um, and if you ever have a hard time finding me, go to my Twitter, hit the link in my bio. That's my website. And if you're ever trying to talk to me directly about anything, you want to talk about music NFTs, you think this conversation was interesting, hop in my Discord. Um, we, we have a lot of people that love talking about all of these topics. Some are collectors, some are creators, some are both. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to get today's body. Um, we will see you at all of your upcoming events and online and in the metaverse. So we'll see you later. And thank you guys all for listening today and we'll see you next time.